God bless you charming Joshuas. They call me the Kansas City crybaby. Cars rumble overhead as I slurp purple drank from George Clooney's crazy juice box. I cuddle in puddles with Lindsay Lohan's no-good uncle, ripping up his sweaty dashboard. The neighbours are telling his partner what part of his body he put through the letterbox. Let me see the New Jersey lingerie. Let me see it over the internet, because I'm unsure of my purchase. That was a poem for some of my American listeners. You'll notice throughout that poem, I used several instances of uh, American references and some American vernacular as well, because I'm proud to announce that we have over 25,000 listeners in the northern continent of America, including Canada. Yes, I just did that, Canada. I included you with the Yanks, because I'm a thick paddy cunt. How are you getting on? And welcome to a new week. How has that week been? Has it been fortuitous? Has it been lucky? Has it been serendipitous? Has it brought you good fortune? Gonna President of the United States and gonna give loads of I'm gonna give all the teachers loads of guns. That's the plan, that's what I'll do to keep it safe. I'll get up go to all the teachers, give them a lot of guns. Real expensive ones well, ones that'll cost a fortune. Real expensive guns. I want all the teachers in all the US schools holding big, massive, expensive guns. And I'll pay for them because I'm loaded. It's going to cost an awful fortune. Doesn't matter. That was a paraphrase of President of the United States, Donald Trump. Not a direct quote. Well, it could have been. I don't know. Donald Trump as your drunk limericant. Donny, Donny, Donny wants to arm the teachers. Fair play to him. I'd like to take you on a little... a guided journey. A guided meditation, if you will. I want you to imagine... A very large cave, about the size of a, the inside of a centra, big cave, and in this cave are three men, Paddy Irishmen, Paddy Scotsmen, and Paddy Englishmen, and these three men are kneeling on the ground in this cave and in front of them is a wall but the three men they're chained they're kneeling down but their necks are chained behind them so they can't move they can't look left or right all they can do is look straight ahead at the wall in front of them And they've been this way since birth. Right? Now I know that sounds cruel but it's not because they don't know any different. Literally since birth they've been chained kneeling down 
looking straight at a head at a wall and they don't know anything else. They can't look left or right. All they can see is what's in front of them. So anyway, on this wall, kind of like if you're in a cinema, are these projections, right? Shadows. Because behind the three boys, Paddy Irishman, Paddy Englishman and Paddy Scotsman, behind them is a torch. And in front of this torch, like people and animals walk past it. And their shadows get projected on the wall in front of the three lads. So all they see are shadows of people and animals and cars. But because they've grown up knowing nothing other than the wall in front of them, they assume that these shadows of people and animals and cars and things, they assume these things to be real. They experience experience them as only two-dimensional shadows. And they start to give these things names and they become their world. And it's all they know. These shadows in front of them, two-dimensional, and each other's voices. But they don't know 3D space, essentially. They just know 2D. Because they can't look left and right. They can't look down, just straight ahead. And it's okay, because they know no better. So then one day, Paddy Irishman manages to break free from the chains. And he steps up. And he turns around. And he sees up in the corner of the cave a little a little slit of light and he runs towards it. Runs all the way up. He pushes aside the big stone block that's covering the entrance. Like Christ emerging from the tomb. And he exits the cave. And all of a sudden he's in the real world. Outside the cave. And the sun is shining and it fucking blinds him. He can't see. Because it's so bright. All he's ever seen are these shadows on the wall. But then his eyes adjust. And for the first time in his life. He sees real human beings. And he sees real animals in three dimensional space. And his brain can't really fucking handle it. But eventually. He gets around to it and he's like. Fuck me. This real world is, is absolutely gorgeous. This is amazing. I can smell different things. I can communicate with people I can move around freely this is absolutely incredible I was wasting my time downstairs in the cave with these shadows in front of me what a fool I was so after Paddy Irishman starts to enjoy the real world he feels bad for Paddy Englishman and Paddy Scotsman downstairs in the cave so he goes back down to them he goes to the entrance of the cave Opens up that block and runs back down. And he sees the two lads. Paddy Scotsman and Paddy Englishman. And he looks at the backs of their heads. And they're still there. Just staring at the shadows on the wall. Talking to the shadows. Giving them names. Nothing has changed. So Paddy Irishman walks in front of him. And the boys start freaking out. They can't recognise him. Because all they know are 2D shadows. So they can hear his voice. And they're like, where the fuck have you been? But they can't see him. Because their brains don't know how to deal with, you know, 3D Paddy Irishman. 
And then he starts telling him, Fuck me, lads, I left the, I left this, this is a cave. This is a cave that you're in, there's a whole world going on. Beside, uh, behind you. And to your sides, there's a whole world out there. And there's real animals and everything in the, you know, they're walking around and it's really bright. But the lads couldn't understand what he was saying to them because they've no frame of reference. All they know is fucking shadows. They've no frame of reference whatsoever. And he's trying to explain to them the incredibly complex theories such as 3D moving objects and the sun and smells. And the lads just can't grasp it because all they know are shadows on a wall. So eventually they entertain him for a while and then they start to get fucking mad angry. Furious at Paddy Irishman coming down to them telling them about this world outside calling him a fucking idiot calling him a fool saying that he's mad then they want to kill him they want him dead so he leaves now you're probably wondering where the fuck am I going with this what, what's he doing what's blind by that I know it sounds like I'm a, after smoking a lot of hash and I'm in the middle of a whitener. But that scenario there that I just spoke about, that's not my, my scenario. That is a scenario that's 2,500 years old. And it's known as Plato's Allegory of the Cave. And it's kind of a, a thought experiment that the philosopher Plato came up with and what it's about it's it's about kind of human perception and knowledge and enlightenment some people say what it's about is his Plato's teacher was Socrates and Socrates Socrates was sentenced to death because his teachings were so disruptive to society and the political system of his time and it's kind of the theory that when when a human reaches a level of knowledge or enlightenment, that if that level of knowledge or enlightenment is so far ahead, that when they come back and try and explain it to humans, the re- like if it's too far beyond what what society is capable of understanding that the person bringing that information to society will most likely meet some type of violent end because it's too much of a shift in kind of ideology and perception, you know? And that's why Paddy Scotsman and Paddy Englishman like wanted to kill Paddy Irishman and all he was trying to do was say to them Lads, you've been you've been staring at, at sock puppets your whole life. You know, the, the the shapes on the wall, they're not real. I know you think they're real, but they're not real. I've seen actual things. I've seen actual animals and people. I've seen them. But I can only use words to describe them. And the boys can't understand it, so they want to kill him. And I don't know what got me talking about that. I was maybe some relation to last week's theme of the podcast was about the theories of Carl Rogers and the real and ideal self 
and the shadows on the wall are the ideal they're not the real they're like the ideal but they're like the the shadows on, on, on the walls of, of Plato's cave are projections that are projected by society and culture onto our minds as real but they're just they're not they're ideal it's like advertising advertising is the shadow on the wall nowadays you know the idea that buying a bar of soap is going to make you a better version of yourself and we believe it they are the shadows on Plato's cave on his wall but some would argue that if Plato's cave was a real thing right if that was an actual thing if you had three human beings from birth who knew nothing other than shadows on a wall and then all of a sudden you confront them with 3D reality that what would actually happen is they would go into what's known as a future shock and that they'd die that the 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 leap of perception would be so great that the two boys would actually die of shock and that's a theory that futurists have regarding accelerating change in technology right some futurists fu- futurists are I think they're people who study the future not futurists as in the actual art movement the Italian art movement they were fascists but futurists as in people who theorise about the future but technology has it's in a state of accelerating change right if you look at the technology from we'll say the time of Christ 2000 years ago to a thousand years later we'll say the Normans technology hadn't changed that much there was better metal forging but people were still kind of living in shitty enough huts and going around on horses but you compare we'll say the the year 1000 to the year 2000 and the level of technological change there is fucking nuts so if you got a person from the time of Christ and you then gave them a time machine and they arrived at the Norman invasion 1066 that person would certainly go into a state of future shock but they'd be able to adjust to it you know but if you took the person from the Norman invasion and brought them to the year 2000 they would die of shock it would be too much for them they would die of shock cars televisions but with the theory of accelerating change if you got someone from the 1920s and brought them to now right, and we're only talking 100 years now if you got someone from the 1920s and brought them to 2018 we'll say 1918 someone from 1918 and brought them to 2018 and showed them things like smartphones or virtual reality they would most likely die of shock and only 100 years has passed so that is accelerating change and I don't I often wonder too as well like the the human like physically biologically the humans that were around in the time of Christ like we're the exact same now like we haven't actually changed biologically not even the time of Christ earlier we're 
biologically modern, I think, for like 30,000, 40,000 years. So I sometimes wonder, what the fuck do our brains think when we're messing around with technology? Like, we still have a caveman brain. Here's a hot take, but like, your smartphone, right? You spend your day on your smartphone, like, essentially just tapping on a piece of glass, right? Tapping, tapping, tapping on a piece of glass all day long. I do it myself, hours on end, tapping on a piece of glass. Does the caveman part of my brain think I'm trapped inside a prison? A glass wall, and I'm just tapping on the glass wall trying to get out. That's Banksy level of hot take right there now. That's one of those terrible internet art pieces that critique how our... our Critiquing social media and how it's a bad thing. But there are elements of that with our... With our brains, you know, that don't understand society as such. Even... A theme I speak about a lot, anxiety, you know, anxiety attacks. Do you ever get so... Do you ever get so scared, right? Or you get a big fright and you either want to fart or shit yourself, yeah? Should we even have the phrase, you know, you're shitting it. You're so scared you're shitting it. Like, that's a really weird physical response to being frightened. But... That is... Uh, there's a part of your brain called the amygdala. It's a tiny little part of your brain. And s- some people call it the, the lizard brain, right? Because... If you go back millions and millions and millions of years in our evolution, when our earliest ancestors, which were essentially like little lizards that climbed out of the ocean. Now, this is before the dinosaurs. And we came from these little lizards (coughs) that climbed out of the ocean. Excuse me. But these little lizards, millions and millions and millions and millions of years ago, they had very simple brains uh, that mainly contained an amygdala. And an amygdala, which is in your brain, a tiny part of your brain, it, it's kind of, it's, it's quite binary. And these little lizards, their tiny lizard brain used to know, it would tell them when it wanted to eat, when it wanted to run away and when it wanted to have sex. But three things. But we still have this little amygdala in our brain now as, as complex human beings. So when this little lizard, millions and millions of years ago, got attacked by a bigger lizard, because its body weight was so light, if it needed to run away, it would actually shit itself, because that would reduce, you know, a a substantial amount of body weight, and it could run away faster. So you and me today still experience the sensation of needing to shit ourselves if we get a fright, because of the primitive amygdala in our head that can dictate and trigger our emotions. And if you get a panic attack inside in a fucking library or shopping centre, shitting your pants isn't going to do much for you. You know, it's certainly not going to reduce your weight so much that you need to run away. And it puts into perspective how uh, irrational things like anxiety can be, you know. The fight, fight or flight response. That's what an anxiety attack is. You get a, 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 a pang of fear. And then your amygdala triggers, we'll say the adrenal gland, tells it to release adrenaline all over your body. Your heart starts thumping. Your breathing becomes shallow. 
digestion stops and you're told to you know either fight or run away but the source of fear is not a large animal coming to attack you but it is a threat to your sense of self your self esteem your identity that's what ca- what can trigger anxiety now but regarding the future shock theory because that's something that I don't know keeps me awake thinking about if you got Podrick Pierce and James Connolly and brought them here now give them a Facebook account would they die of shock and I often wonder you know is, is that true would that happen how do you test that how, how do you test would somebody die of shock if you showed them advanced technology because there's no way to do it because you need a time machine but then this got me thinking got me thinking about World War 2 the Pacific Theatre of World War 2 so if we go back to the early 1940s right and I've spoken before about when the Americans entered World War 2 it was because of a, a, it was a, as a response to the attacks on Pearl Harbor by the Japanese so the majority of the American conflict in World War 2 took place on the Pacific Theatre against the Japanese by sea and by air so the area we're talking about is you know the Pacific Ocean Pacific Ocean is one th- the one to the left of America, the one between America and Japan and above Australia, around there. So in the Pacific Ocean, there's lots and lots, loads of little islands, tiny islands. Unfortunately, these little islands are now disappearing because of global warming. But there was loads and loads and loads of these little islands. So the Americans and the Japanese made use of these islands right they would land planes on them or they would have little bases on these tiny islands in the Pacific theatre of World War 2 but living on these islands are people and they're known as uh, in general Melanesians would be the collective term for the vast uh, peoples and cultures of the islands of the Pacific okay Papua New Guinea, Fiji, and many, many smaller islands in between. Very small islands. So the thing is with the cultures on these islands, for a vast, for for a few reasons, they were not very technologically advanced, right? A lot of the small populations on these small islands had essentially Stone Age technology. The reasons for this are mainly they didn't have access. They didn't have access to certain facets of the environment that allow for technological development. One of them was they didn't have beasts of burden on their land. They didn't have cattle or cows which you could use to farm land and plant things like rice or wheat and to till the soil. So they had to do it by hand for whatever things they were growing. They also relied on a a kind of a a hunter-gatherer lifestyle. 
as well their main source of carbohydrate that they had it was uh, it's it's like a a type of tuber like um it would look like a potato but you have to dig it out of the ground and there's one specific island too and their source of carbohydrate is this type of potato you dig out of the ground that's poisonous and you have to wash it so because of lack of beasts of burden and a lack of uh, proper farming and things like that they weren't very technologically advanced and they remained like that for a long long time so these tribes of people living on the islands who had had no contact with the outside world by the way none Okay, they, they hadn't even had contact with populations living in islands you know a few thousand miles away very very isolated communities so all of a sudden during the Pacific theatre of World War 2 they had their first contact with American soldiers and Japanese soldiers out of fucking nowhere okay they had their recorded history and then out of fucking nowhere planes and cars and people with machines arrive on their islands and what you essentially have there is it's like a stone age people being confronted with modern technology and that right there is your future shock right but the people in these cultures the Melanesians they didn't drop dead a shock now it was highly highly stressful for them highly stressful because there was a war going on as well and they had this peaceful life on these little fucking islands and there's planes flying overhead blowing the shit out of each other I mean for us it would be like an alien invasion it'd be like aliens having a war in the air be Independence Day you know big giant spaceships fucking hovering over all the major cities that, that would, that's what it would have been like for the Melanesian people of these islands in the Pacific. But one thing that was specific to some of the cultures of these islands is they have a system of hierarchy which is known in anthropology as the big man system. Okay? So, in we'll say Papua New Guinea, for instance, hierarchy usually true true it was usually true males but the hierarchy of and status in your community it wasn't about how hard you were how great a fighter you were how warlordism or it wasn't like how much property you had Do you know because these are small uh islands small communities so property wasn't necessarily a massive commodity so it was influence the person with the highest status in their community was somebody who could we'll say fairly redistribute goods like if if a hunting party went out or if they got climbed up a tree and got a lot of honey the the man who could distribute that in in the most fairest fashion and be reciprocal and the person who could tell the best stories any type of thing that could be bartered or that could increase your influence and how much people like you almost like a very political like a politician a parish pump politician this is known as the big man structure and the big men were the ones with the most influence and sway over people and the ones with 
things to trade. And if you weren't a person who could do this, you, you were seen as what's known as a rubbish man. So there was big men who could influence and trade and have goods. And then there was the rubbish men. And these were the men who couldn't. So what started to emerge, and this is it's an anthropological theory about it. When the American soldiers landed on the island and the Japanese soldiers landed... The soldiers themselves, they, they obviously wanted to be nice to the native people. Because they were setting up fucking, you know, they had a war to fight and they were setting up bases. So what they would do is they would give the fucking natives, like, cans of coke and chocolate bars and radios and all sorts of stuff that they had. They would give the communities these things. So what this did psychologically is within the big man culture that already existed on within the Melanesian people when the Americans and Japanese came with their trade of these these technologically advanced items it made the entire community of natives feel like rubbish men it made them feel diminished and inferior within their culture So anyway, World War Two ended, right? And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, the Japanese disappeared and the Americans disappeared, okay? And the people left on the island, they didn't have much communication going on with the Japanese and with the Americans because one small little island could have they could speak their own language and there was no way of translating so the war ended and just everyone disappeared but the lads were still left the communities were still left on the islands going what the fuck happened where did they go like I said it's like if aliens landed and they fucked off again for no reason and then what started to happen after they left every so often because of international trade routes that established in the Pacific after World War II when the waters became safe, every so often, maybe once every five years, something would wash up on the shore of, we'll say, Papua New Guinea, or one of the smaller islands, like a crate full of clothes or a few tins of coke would wash up on the shore. And what started to emerge is that the Melanesian people believed that the Japanese and the American soldiers were actually gods, that they were gods from the heavens, and that the cargo that used to wash up on the shore were gifts from the gods. So then something really fucking nuts starts to happen. The native people started to develop religious rituals and religious beliefs whereby they worshipped American culture as a godly culture right and they started to create they started to replicate the behaviour of the American soldiers when they had been on the island okay so the Americans would have had like temporary runways where planes would land and they would have had like uh, 
aircraft control towers and things like that. So the around the 1950s and 60s, the Melanesian people started to make their own runways out of like bamboo. Meaningless runways, just a runway out of bamboo and a bamboo air traffic control tower. And they'd make stereo headphones out of bits of wood and visually recreate the rituals of air traffic control bringing planes in. So they they started to behave like US military using their meagre kind of scraps that they made as a religious ritual in the hope that by aping the American soldiers who were trying to bring planes onto the island that if they do this as a religious ritual it will result in more and more cans of coke washing up on the shore these gifts from the gods and this phenomenon is known as cargo cult they're called cargo cults and they're now religions there's one in particular called the John Frum cargo cult and it's the biggest and most important one there's an island called Tana a tiny island and it's in a place called the Venatu Archipelago and this particular cargo cult they're awaiting the second coming of an American soldier who they believe is, is, is a divine being and he's going to come back they're still doing it he's going to come back um, and bring them TVs and Coca-Cola and fridges and they perform these rituals with their fake fucking their fake runways and their fake aircraft control towers and they perform these rituals as their religion they also have an American flag that they worship and they do this hoping that John Frum whoever the fuck John Frum was they think maybe that it, there was a guy called an American soldier called John who was particularly nice and he used to give chocolate and coke away and they think it's John from America and that's where they got the name and they believe that he's going to come back as the form of a god and give them televisions and one day a year these tribes people they have they celebrate John from day and all the tribal elders they put on blue navy jeans like American jeans that are like 40 years old that were either left behind or washed up on shore. And they wear these American jeans and they paint the word USA on their chest. And they perform like military drills, holding bits of sticks instead of guns. And they have an American flag that flies on a bamboo pole. And this is their religious ritual. John Frum is going to come from the skies on his flying bird and give him cans of coke and that is their religion. And that is still going on. And there's a few... There's a... Another cargo cult called the Tom Navy cargo cult. And they worship a US naval officer. And the most maddest one of all. The most insane one. There is a cargo cult in Micronesia. And they worship Prince Philip. The Queen's husband. They actually worship him. And they believe that he's a, he's a pale-skinned mountain spirit. And they eagerly await when he is going to return to their island and bring them chocolate or whatever. And the cargo cults for me, 
it, it to me it it goes back it's Plato's cave. That's what it is. That goes back to Plato's cave. Essentially those cargo cult lads they're the ones that are they're staring at the kind of the wall and seeing the shadows and then one day one of them breaks free and comes back and explains the world outside and shows it to them and that's what the Americans and the Japanese planes were that was the the outside world and they didn't try and kill the Americans or try and kill the Japanese and they also didn't die of future shock they worshipped the Yanks and the Japanese and Prince fucking Philip as gods. And that's my hot take. That's my hot take. That the cargo cult is Plato's allegory of the cave. That was some fucking rant, lads, wasn't it? Huh? Fucking hell. Hot take. But, uh, no, I'm over, I'm in London. I'm in fucking London and I'm working 12 hour days, if not longer, on a, on a, on a, a TV thing I'm doing, right? Uh, I'm staying in Saha, in the West End, the beautiful Saha. And, yeah, I had to pull that out of my hole there. I just had to fucking 40 minutes of straight talking. But whatever. Trying to get into a state of flow and allow my, um, Unconscious to uh, delve within whatever the fuck was stored into the back of my head and see what it took me. So it took me to Plato's Cave and Cargo Cults. There you go. Uh, <sighs> the place that I'm staying in, what I had to do is I, I have a mattress, it's a small little bedroom thingy. I have a mattress up and I threw my jackets all over the place to. Uh, diminish any potential echo in the room so that I can still give you the podcast hug that you're accustomed to that warm uh, intimate sound and I'm quite happy with it, I think it sounds okay Um, I brought my microphone over with me, you know so there you go last week um Actually, do you know what? No, do you know what we do now? We'll we'll have our, our ocarina pause. So, every week, halfway through the podcast, um, a digital advert is inserted by Acast. Some people hear it, some people don't. For those who hear the advert, fuck you. For those who don't hear the advert, you get a beautiful, uh, a beautiful bit of playing of the ocarina. And I brought the ocarina with me to London. So the ocarina is a Spanish clay whistle. God help any new fucking listeners. Jesus Christ. If someone said to you, tune into the Blind Boy podcast and this is the one it starts off on. Sure, fuck me. Go back to the start, will you? Go back to the start and listen. This 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 episode is madness. I'm, I'm under that hot London pressure. Okay, here's the ocarina. 
Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Actually, do you know what else I'll do what, for the day that's in it? I'll get some English money in my hands and I'll move it around my hands and you can hear the, the lovely, the heavy English money. English pounds have a different uh, candor to them than the euro. They're a much heavier currency. Listen to that. That's three English pounds with the Queen's head on top. Oh, I'm taking the Queen's shilling. I like English money. It's very, uh, it's very heavy. English coins are very heavy. To the point that I have a conspiracy theory that the Bank of England is... Uh, directly funds the belt industry because all English people over here have got very strong belts because their pants if you've got too much English money in your pockets your pants fall around your ankles that's how you can tell uh, if if an Irish comedian such as myself uh, ignores the entertainment industry in Ireland and goes over to England to take the Queen's shilling as soon as you get back to Ireland your pants fall around your ankles because your pockets are so full of that delicious Protestant money that black Maggie Ta- Maggie Thatcher's black Protestant milk sucking it out of her nipples. <sighs> this podcast does not have a sponsor. It is supported by the generosity of the listeners via a Patreon page. If you enjoy the podcast and you want to support it and you want to... I won't say keep it going... Do you know why? Because I'm gonna it, this this podcast is gonna go indefinitely, even even if I upset people and only have ten listeners. But if you are a listener and you enjoy it, and you'd like to buy me the equivalent of a pint once a month for uh, for five hours of content a month, if you think that I'm deserving of a cup of coffee or a pint 
approximately four euro or five euro then you you are more than welcome to contribute to the patreon page which is patreon.com forward slash the blind boy podcast so if you're feeling generous and sound please do and as always if you don't have the money or if you simply don't want to give me any money that's fine absolutely fine you can continue to listen for free there's no pressure however if you don't want to part with money and want to give some type of gesture um subscribe to the podcast on itunes i invite everybody please uh, leave a review and rate the podcast rate the podcast every week if you could the reason i'm always asking for subscriptions and ratings is i'm trying to bag an international sponsor for the podcast if i can because the irish sponsors they're just not interested the the irish advertisers are, are they're behind the times podcasts give them future shock do you know they're living in the stone age but I want that hot international sponsor and things like uh, high ratings and lots of reviews are what you bring international sponsors and go hey look at me I'm a hot buy oil me up so please leave a review or recommend it to a friend or all that carry on also last week I I recommended an I, I recommend an album, a musical album, every week. And I think last week is going to be the last one that I, I recommend. At least for a while. I don't know, I might bring it back. The reason being, last week I recommended that you listen to an album called Crime of the Century by Supertramp. And I said, I'm not sure if I've recommended this before, I don't think I have. And it turns out I fucking did. So I recommended the same album twice in the podcast. And that to me lets me know that I'm after losing the run of myself and I need to drop the album segment. So there you go. If you want to hear new music, I do have um, some playlists on Spotify that I curated. There's three playlists. There's one playlist of uh, West, West Coast G-Funk music. Another playlist called Objectively Class Tunes, which contains many many songs across many genres that are objectively class and there's also a post disco playlist and you'll find them if you go onto Spotify and find the Rubber Bandits page and go into playlists so there's some music for you but I'm going to chill out on the albums for a while because I'm embarrassed that I recommended Supertramp twice holy moly so I'll answer a few questions that you send me on Patreon and Twitter um, there's one question I wanted to answer actually and I saw it on Twitter during the week and I can't remember who asked it but uh, a girl asked she'd like me to she said I'm paraphrasing blind boy I'd love to hear you talk about repeal the 8th and then that got a couple of likes because I haven't mentioned repeal the 8th now for our non-Irish listeners in Ireland, uh, abortion is illegal because there's a thing called the Eighth Amendment in our Constitution, which forbids abortion. And this May, we are having a referendum to try and change this in the Constitution so that access to abortion can be made free, safe and legal. But however, ten Irish women a day 
travel to London for abortions and there's also a lot of uh, abortion pills being brought into the country so abortions are happening a lot of them but they're not happening in a way that keeps women safe and women are entitled to be safe and entitled to have a choice over their own bodies so yes repeal the fucking eight please if you have a if you're are trying to organise repeal the eight <clears throat> in your town or village or whatever and you want me to retweet your event just at me rubber bandits on twitter and I will retweet that for you because I want to try and support that and to the lads who are listening if you are in support of Repeal the Eights, which I think you should be, don't waste your time on Twitter arguing, or Twitter or Facebook or social media, arguing with the kind of hardline pro, pro-life people because their minds are made up. If you want to use your energy appropriately, speak to your uncles and aunts and speak to the lads, speak to your friends who don't have an opinion on it because it doesn't affect them. Get them to use their vote. Um, so that's my two cents on it. I don't talk about it much on this because I reserve Twitter for that. And even on Twitter I don't talk about it much. I prefer, rather than me talking about repealing the 8th, I rather retweet and platform fucking, like the abortion rights campaign and things like that. Because at the same time I am conscious of the fact that it is a it's a it's a female issue it's a, not not necessarily a female issue it's an issue for people with reproductive organs i don't have them so i'd rather platform the voices of people who have those reproductive organs than me roaring and shouting about it and to be honest that position is that's only something i've very recently learned like the past year you know through listening Anita asks, Hello, blind boy. Can you talk a little about the root causes for mental disorders such as depression, anxiety, ADD, bipolar, etc.? Do you believe it's genetic or is there a correlation between stressed out parents and the environment set up for a developing baby that creates these dysfunctions in our kids' later life? Where do you feel these mental disorders lie? Well, Anita, I'm certainly not a fucking expert at all. I would have more than an armchair knowledge of psychotherapy and psychology because it's something I'm very interested in but I'm certainly not an expert and there is no black and white yes or no answer to that question Um, the human mind is something that people are still really learning about a lot I'll tell you what I am cautious of I'm cautious of people who say that mental health issues are purely genetic or you know what I mean I'm cautious of that I'm also cautious of people who say that mental health issues are purely environmental. It's more than likely a complex mix of the two. Speaking for myself and my own voice, my mental health issues were most certainly environmental and did not have, I believe, a genetic kind of... I didn't have a genetic predisposition to anxiety or depression. I can tell you, I definitely, I can, I can trace in my childhood how I learned uh, anxiety as a response to stress. So I believe that a lot of my, my issues with anxiety and depression, they were learned from my childhood. 
many myriad things came into it. And in my treatment, I chose not to use medication. That's just me personally. Okay, I am not saying that that's going to work for anyone else. Here's the thing with mental health. The mental health issues are as unique and complex as the people it affects. So there's never a black and white answer. For me personally, I was prescribed Xanax at the start of my panic attacks. And me personally, I was just like, no, I don't think I don't think I'm ready to go down the that route for me. So I used cognitive behavioral therapy and meditation and that worked for me. But if you are taking antidepressants or you're taking anxiety, anti-anxiety medication, it's your business. If that works for you, that works for you. And don't allow people shame you around it. But there is no black and white answer to that question. Mental health is incredibly complex. And we're still only finding shit out. And effective mental health treatment as well. The ideal situation, it's always multidisciplinary. You'd have a psychotherapist, a psychiatrist, clinical psychologist, all these different uh, disciplines to try and tackle the issue, you know. And each one of them, they all come from different, you know, a psychotherapist is interested in talking and probing the mind. The psychiatrist is more interested in looking at it from a medical perspective. That is the opinion of a man from Limerick who wears a plastic bag in his head and is not an expert. Personal opinion. Sinead asks, You end the podcast with a God bless. Do you believe in God? What's your concept of God? When I say God bless, it's more of a cultural thing. It's... It's an ironic cultural thing. We, You know, it's... God bless is an Irish saying. It's an Irish thing, God bless. So when I say God bless, it's... I'm kind of taking the piss. But... I don't really have an opinion on, on, on God. Do you know what I mean? Like, I'm certainly not hardcore atheist where I'm like, there is definitely no God or what the fuck is God. Um, If I had to take a stance on it, I'd take the Buddhist stance. And the Buddha was asked once, is there a God? And Buddha said, if you're worrying about whether or not there is a God, then you're not living in the present moment. So... My kind of belief is that things like heaven and hell and God, these are things that happen right now. So if, if, if I'm living my life in the present moment and experiencing, using mindfulness, uh, you know, if my life has meaning, if I'm doing things I like and my mental health is good, then I am living in heaven. And if I choose the opposite route where I'm, going down the road of anxiety and depression then I'm living in hell so things like God and heaven and hell for me they happen in this reality and it's about the present moment so I try my best to live in heaven as much as possible through my daily mental health regime and I don't really think a lot about abstract concepts like God because you can go down many fucking routes I mean, I often look at animals and I wonder, do animals have a concept of God? Because humans are the only animals that actively create things. We we cannot fathom pointlessness and meaninglessness. We can't do it because we are creatures of meaning. If you look around at the the built environment around you, if you live in a city, literally everything has kind of 
has been put there deliberately for a reason. Buildings, roads, even trees that humans planted. And nature is less like that. Nature is more chaotic. And I often wonder the likes of Yorty Ahern, the otter. I doubt he thinks about God. He would be quite comfortable living in the, the chaos of the universe. I don't know, here I am again projecting fucking metaphysics onto an otter. Should just leave him alone. This is another podcast. This fucking this discussion is for another fucking podcast. I'm concerned with the here and now, being mindful, living in the present moment. That's what I'm about. Owen asks, On your point about solemnity and yet another fucking massacre in an American school, would the victims be better remembered by the aftermath being graphically displayed? Show the reality of what a bunch of people getting shot in cold blood looks like. Perhaps encountering that visceral horror would finally crack the impenetrable. Our thoughts are with you, but the Second Amendment is sacred bullshit. Again, I'm always choosing these fucking questions that could occupy a podcast by themselves. Oh, and I ran, what you've kind of done there is positioned the... There's a philosopher called Michel Foucault. And Foucault had an interesting argument about Western society. Now, I don't want to give too much of this away because I think Foucault himself deserves his own podcast episode. But <clears throat> Foucault argued that crime and punishment in industrial Western society is more barbarous now than it was, we'd say, a thousand years ago. Right? A thousand years ago, you had public beheadings and executions. Very public, bloody punishment that everyone could see and smell and be a part of. And Foucault argued that that is actually more human and compassionate than the prison system where brutality and punishment is medicalized and sanitized and pushed away outside of the eye of the viewer. That Foucault argued that society could actually become more just when brutality is platformed and visible and that the sanitization leads to greater brutality and evil is far more evil. So that's kind of what you're arguing from. You're coming at that from a Foucault point of view because Foucault would say, yeah, show us all the blood. We need, we need to connect, uh, fully connect in a human way with the scale of what's happening. Otherwise it is sanitized. The other way to go at it too is from the philosopher Jean Baudrillard and his big thing was hyper-realism he would argue that the school shootings <clears throat> are being presented to us as a hyper-real simulacra that because they happen in the media that they are not presented to us as real they're presented to us as copies of copies of copies and therefore we do not fully emotionally connect with them and because of that we won't do anything about it so to probe your question, yeah, you're looking at a mixture of Foucault and fucking Baudrillard. And I can't answer it. Um, I don't know. I mean, fuck it. Did looking at the ISIS videos do anything? Maybe it did. I don't know. That's a big, big question for another podcast. You can't. Okay, one last question. Jamie Carty asks any chance you could give us a rundown on your meditation process would love to get into it but I'm not really sure what I'm at there's one answer to that and 
in order to do this, I'm going to have to essentially do free advertising for a product. Um, there's a an app that you can get called Headspace, okay? And it's free, but if you get into it, I think it's like seven quid a month. But if you use it, it's well worth it, right? So Headspace is a meditation app. It, there's no spirituality to it. It's just very straightforward, mindful meditation. There's no beliefs to it. You stick your headphones in, you do it ten minutes a day, twice a day, and I would I would give it a go. Give Headspace a go. Headspace is fucking amazing. And I used Headspace quite a lot myself. When I started off meditating years ago, I first ever mindfulness book I bought was a little book called The Calm Technique. And it was recommended to me by a counsellor. And if you can get your hands on the cam technique by Paul Wilson as well, it's just a tiny little book. That's very good. It has a basic uh, counting meditation. I might at some point over the summer, when I have more time, do a few guided meditations myself on this podcast. Maybe I'll go down to Yorty's couch um, down by Plassey River and and record them there because that's where I used to meditate. Now when I meditate, because I've been doing it so long, I'm able to meditate while I'm running. And meditation essentially, like all it is, 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 is having the skill to focus your mind on something repetitive, such as counting. Counting is the easiest meditation. Then when you get more advanced, you can meditate on specific emotions or parts of your body. So download Headspace and give it a crack. I mentioned earlier that I'm looking for a sponsor for the podcast and like my ideal international sponsor would be Headspace because if I do get a sponsor I'd actually like to be advertising something that I myself use and think would be a benefit to my listeners and Headspace is that thing so download Headspace for yourself give it a crack and the one piece of advice I'd give you going into meditation don't try, try to lower your expectations Okay, lower your expectations um, don't have too much judgement around yourself whether you get it right or wrong it might take you a while to get into it just go with the flow that's what meditation is about it's about relaxing letting go and truly accepting meditation is acceptance it's not about fighting things it's not about changing things it's about accepting but the, the app itself the meditations on it they explain that far better than I can um, so yeah, download Headspace. We've reached an hour now in the podcast, and I usually go for an hour fifteen, an hour twenty, but I'm I'm just up the walls this week, lads, and I'm going to be busy next week as well. So I'll give you a nice concise hour, and as always, go in peace and look after yourselves. Be compassionate to yourself try and be compassionate to someone else and have a good week chill out you'll be grand don't focus too much on worrying about something that has already happened or worrying about something that might happen enjoy what's happening right now okay and be mindful in whatever you do even if it's scraping dog shit off your shoe yort also uh leave a review of the podcast subscribe to the podcast recommend it to a friend if you like and donate a few quid to the Patreon if that's how you're feeling I'd like it if you did that thank you
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.